available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Amazing things go on in the Pac-12. There's a lot of actually news we're going to talk about today. There was a conference call with Larry Scott that... I was listening to, we'll get into some of the details of that. Our buddy John Wilner is providing lots of interesting nuggets for us to talk about. He had some real positive things to say about the conference, which seemed a little strange. We tweeted about that too. Uh, But we want to get to your questions because that's kind of the meat of these off-season shows. And you guys sent a lot of them again. We appreciate that tremendously. So if you want to send us a question or some kind of topic, something you'd like us to discuss, you can email us, pac 12 Podcast at gmail.com, or if you'd rather call, use that phone of yours to call us, leave a voicemail, or send us a text, uh, 424-532-0678. That is the number. Call us or text us and tell us what you, you know, what do you want to talk about? We want us to talk about here on the Podcast of Champions. If you'd rather tweet at us, we've been trying to be active on the Twitters, at Pac-12 Podcasts, and our website, Pac-12Podcast.com. People ask for our contact info or old episodes, you can just go to Pac12Podcast.com and find all of that. And of course, iTunes, uh, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn, all that kind of stuff. Uh, please go on and subscribe to the Pac-12 the Pac-12 Podcast, Podcast of Champions. Leave us a five-star review, positive feedback, all that kind of stuff, a rating. All of that is awesome, Dave. We love when people give us some cool feedback uh, on the show. Yeah, the main important thing is the positive rating. It can be a positive rating and negative feedback. We're fine with that. Yeah, just make sure it's a five star review. Yeah, five stars are good, and we we are, negative we're, reviews are almost funnier to read. So that's <laughs> fine too. Just make sure it's a five star review. Uh, we we average a five star, right? So that's like we are averaging a five star. Yeah, correct. So that's pretty good. Um, and like we say, it's mostly because we show up every week. Like we're doing it, you know. But it's not easy to do this. There's been podcasts that try to be like us, Pac-12-centered podcasts that come and go. Hold on, hold on. So there's a difference between other podcasts failing and this being an actual difficult thing to do. Like this (laughs) this isn't like rocket science. It's not brain surgery. Certainly not the way we do it. Uh, But no, we, we, we stick with it, right? We're stubborn. At the very least, one can say, we are stubborn. We are. I think we were very stubborn. And uh, we, what was it? It was a couple of years ago where we didn't really do much in the off season. We'd go like six months or something without doing a less, show. Less stubborn then, yes. Yeah. We less stubborn then. But then we sort of got like shamed into doing it every week. So it became like this point of contention last year. Like, we're still doing it. We're still doing it every week. And then uh, now we just kept going. Yeah. Yeah, we we had stopped when I think when we when I moved to Atlanta, we stopped for like six months, basically. Yeah, or more or less, and then uh, yeah. But since then, we've been pretty regular. Yeah. Pretty regular. Not too bad. Uh, well, that's, people seem to like the show, so we do appreciate that. Otherwise, that's why we 
spend our time, uh, you know, recording this and putting this up. We had a little snafu last week. I think we had a couple of questions on that, but we can just mention it now. Um, what you know, little inside baseball, how we make the show now because I I usually sit in my bathtub. <laughs> And actually, um, computers can't sit in a bathtub, too. And I didn't realize that until this show this week. Um, well, it's a good thing to know. You know, I, I, yeah. I haven't tried it, but I, I just assumed it would work. Yeah, basically, my computer's getting old. And uh, it, whatever, it stopped sequencing my audio at some point, And then it got just kind of jangled. It sounded really cool. It sounded like some real um, avant-garde <laughs> Like we were really trying some new things. Um, it was like a Salvador Dali podcast. Like super, super nonlinear. It was. Uh, it was like one of those episodes of a TV show that goes all Quentin Tarantino, where yeah. it starts at the end and works its way back through the middle. Like it was one of those things. Uh, but you fixed it. You fixed it with ease. That was great. I d- I did fix it. Hopefully, uh, it was working there. People were kind of complaining a little bit at first. But we basically what we've done. Uh, the inside baseball part is we each record our own audio and a lot of the big podcasts do that, like the solid verbal and uh, other ones. And then Dave will send it to me and then I'll uh, put it together. But usually you just have to sync up the beginning and everything works somehow 56 minutes in, it got unsynced. So uh, very strange. So I'll, I'll have to watch for that uh, going forward just in case, but we might, uh, you know, we, we might need a GoFundMe page to get Dave a new computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. Let's do it. Um, no, I think it's just a matter of making sure the, the length of time is roughly the same. If the length of the audio is roughly the same and we start at roughly the same time, we should be good to go. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. Well, there was uh, – we were going to record on Monday and some things kind of came up. But on Monday, there was a Pac-12 conference call uh, that I thought was – a little not that interesting. Um, just to be very much so, very much so. Yeah. So it was uh, with Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott and Philip DeStefano, the uh, you know Colorado uh, Chancellor. He's also the chair of the Pac-12 CEO group. Um, yeah, and and they released a bunch of financial information uh, earlier, or I mean, actually, kind of right before the call. Uh, John Wilner put out a really good piece on the Pac-12 financials. We'll talk about uh, that kind of stuff. And really, just I, I took a few notes here. I'll just go over them real quick. So Larry Scott spoke first and uh, sort of recapped, um, you know, the release of the the transfer rule that they they're changing. So basically, the new rule is if uh, you know it's not going to be an extra year if you're going to transfer within the Pac-12 conference. You'd still have to sit out a regular year if you're, you know, not a graduate transfer. But if you're a grad transfer in the Pac-12 conference, you can be eligible right away. So they're not giving you an extra penalty for pa- transferring within the conference. They also, you know, made the Pac-12 hoop schedule better, so you can't, you know, there's a bunch of rules, but you can't schedule a bunch of scrubs. Uh, that you know, the problem this last year, David, correct me if I'm wrong, is just there were no one, no one really had a high like was it net ranking or whatever. Like, it, it, and a lot of that was the scheduling. Some of it, uh, most of it was all the teams sucked, but yeah, <laughs> okay, some too. of it, yeah, some of it was that they, uh, there wasn't a lot of great scheduling going on. Um, you know, a few, a few schools are like known for scheduling big marquee games, but a lot of schools don't. So it'll probably improve that. I, I, I think it's a lot of rearranging, not the deck chairs on the Titanic, but extraneous details. Like they're gonna, I mean, it's, it, when the teams are better, it's going to, look better it's yeah. just the teams have been bad for the last few years 
but this, so they're they're upgrading the scheduling, um, you know, uh, requirements. I guess you could say. Uh, they also, you know, they were trying to be more transparent on some of the the financials and um, separating out, you know, because they would say, "Oh, it's this big bucket because you're a media company with the Pac-12 networks and all and the conference itself." So they tried to separate that stuff out. Uh, you know how revenue was distributed. And we'll go over some of the numbers. And I got in, a, well, there's some questions about this too. I got in a fight with Iowa fans on Twitter. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it was. You did lump them in with Rutgers and somebody else, though. In Maryland, yeah. I mean, that's a little offensive. Well, we'll get, uh, we'll get, we'll go over that. Um, but so, yeah, I, I think there was a little bit more transparency um, from what they were saying, you know, but they, uh, you know, I don't know how fully transparent it is. Uh, so Stefano came on and, um, uh, they were talking about um, w- with the equity deal. So they were saying, uh, Larry Scott was saying like they were still, the thing was still growing. Like they, they felt like there was still growth there and the equity deal isn't incorporated. The potential equity deal isn't incorporated into that. Uh, and then Stefano was talking about, they were looking at traditional media partners, also like high tech companies really haven't narrowed it down, I guess, uh, yet. They're still very excited, but haven't made any kind of decision about the equity stuff. But it's it was front and center. Uh, to me, David, it seems like this equity thing is is going to happen one way or another. Yeah, it's the same dumb thing we've been talking about for months, it seems like now. Yeah. They're, they're probably going to do it. Um, I don't, I, I, it doesn't meaningfully change anything, I don't think. It's just going to be a, you know, one-time cash infusion that, uh, isn't sustainable, obviously, um, and I don't know what strings are going to come attached to that. So it's it'll be it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I, I think some schools could use the cash, sure, but um, I don't know what the what the negative ramifications of it will be. Yeah. Uh, then they got into questions. There really wasn't that many. Uh, Dennis Dodd came out of the gate with probably the best one. Um, so he asked about you know why does the Pac-12 distribute a much smaller percentage of their revenues to the member schools. So Cuz Larry needs a yacht, baby. <laughs> Larry does get He got a $500,000 raise, Dave. He gets over 5 no, no, million. No, no. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, the, the 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 raise isn't the the point of issue. I mean, it's obviously crazy, but the the raise isn't the issue. Homeboy makes 5.3 <laughs> million dollars a year. <laughs> what? That's why you can't give a higher percentage to the schools. Holy cow. I mean, that's insane. That's a big come up for uh, for our man, Larry. Yeah. From the running the tennis channel to fleecing the Pac-12 schools and just the lowest performance. I mean, literally, the Pac-12 has gone from when this first the TV deal was signed, the they had the most TV revenue of any conference. And after the ACC network comes in and stuff, I think at this point, the ACC hasn't reported 2018 yet. But my guess is, David that the Pac-12 will be fifth. So Larry Scott went from taking from first to fifth of five and has gotten raises and will be making the most of any uh, athletic director, I mean, any uh, conference commissioner at over $5 million. It's just, I mean, it's so stunning. That's five times as much as any AD in the league, I think. I think uh, Dan Guerrero is maybe the most, and he's just over a mil. That's insane. Yeah. And for the the worst performance, like so, you're the best. Yeah, yeah. You're the highest paid with the worst performance. Well, he's the head of a media company too, Ryan. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Well, that was his answer. So why? Uh, and so, uh, and Dennis Dodd actually tweeted this. He said, in the latest tax filing, the PAC-12 distributes 74% of total revenue to its members. While this is an increase, it lags behind Power 5 peers. 90% at least is usually returned to the other Power 5 mem- uh, members. Larry Scott says that's because of financials owned and operated uh, Pac-12 network. Basically, he's saying you can't compare that 74% to the other conferences that get over 90% because there's the Pac-12 network involved and they own and operate 100% of the Pac-12 network. Um, so I don't know if that makes much sense, but it's uh, it just seems silly uh, that the Pac-12 would be that far behind. You know, you're talking about three quarters versus, you know, 90%. Well, it's a pretty big it difference. It just makes it, well, uh, and I, I, I would get it, like I get it because, you know, they have more overhead, right? They've got to pay more for, whatever studio space and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I get that, but it just makes the whole idea seem dumber. Yeah. Like it just makes the whole <laughs> initial idea seem dumber and you know, whatever everyone went in eyes open, I think to a certain extent about maybe some of the pitfalls, maybe not all of them. So it's not like, you know, you don't want to be fully revisionist on saying the Pac-12 network was a horrible idea from the jump, but this doesn't, this certainly makes it seem like, well, it was a really bad idea. Um, and because what is what is the length we're on the Pac-12 network now? Is it seven years? Has it been going for seven years? I uh, seven or eight, right? Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's up seven there. or eight years. I mean, to be at this point, seven or eight years in, who boy, oh boy, to be you're you're the the pot of money is way less, and you're distributing way less of that pot of money. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good math. And it's weird. It's like if you're you know. You're in like the carpenters union or like the, uh, I don't know, like the drywall union, and you're like, oh, every, you know, you pay ten percent dues into your membership, but the whole contractor union, if you build the whole house, you have to pay twenty five percent in. You're like, well, it's different because we build the whole house, and we're not just doing the, uh, you know, the sheetrock or whatever. It's just something weird. Or it's like you're still your peers. Like there should still be some kind of correlation between the percentage that's distributed. The Pac twelve and the Pac twelve network is. It's, it's supposed to be for the members, um, and a lot of that expenses, that's on you. Like, Larry Scott in his new deal, he can now, you know, in his deal, he can fly first class whenever he deems fit. You know, he's allowed to charter airplanes around. Um, that's all part of his compensation, and they, they didn't have to put the studios in the most expensive real estate in the country. Like, they could have used, you know, plenty of the open studio space that's in Los Angeles right now where, and you don't have to fly like your director from LA to San Francisco every week because he lives in LA. Cause you know what like a lot of television people do, they live in Los Angeles. So a lot of that is self-inflicted uh, I would say. So that, yes, maybe it's harder to, to compare the 74% to the 90, whatever percent, but you know, maybe a few percentage of that is because you own the network, but a, a few percentage of that is definitely the mistakes that you've made as far as expenses go, I would say. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, obviously it's a farce that they're only um, distributing that little of, again, a smaller pot of money. Uh, But, I mean, there is, like, legitimate overhead. I wouldn't expect them to be distributing 90%. um, But it's just, uh, obviously, they're making a ton less money. I mean, they're, they're making a ton less money as a network, and then they're distributing less. So it's just, yeah, disaster territory. And Larry... Reeling in the big bucks. Oh, Isn't man. that just great? It's He's, just wonderful. I'm I, so happy for him. I think Jim Delaney actually just passed him because they got there was some sort of 
major bonuses that came through. Like, but his base salary is way less than Larry Scott. So the Big Twelve, I mean, Big Ten uh, commissioner. Um, but he, I think he got five point five. But there was a lot of, you know, because we'll we'll go over like what the Big Ten's getting. Like, it makes sense why he would be getting that much money. Um, All right, why, why don't we talk about the thing you're upset about? Oh, well, hold it. Well, real quick. Um, so Dan Weber asked a question about. So the thing is, if you sell equity rights, like, and they don't, they don't know how long those rights are for. Like, is it perpetu- for perpetuity? Is it like a 10-year deal? Because say Arizona, Arizona State wanted to leave the conference and the Pac-12 sold their media rights, like, are they, do they owe that for the rest of their you know, existence? Like, how would that work for a member of schools if there's a big, you know, if there's a breakup or, if, you know, a one-off? I think um, the, the schools would buy back their rights. That's the way it I know that's the way it worked when the Pac-12 network was getting started because I think a lot of the schools had to buy back their individual non-ESPN Fox rights from their whatever distribution they'd planned on. Okay. Um, so I think they would ultimately just have to buy back the rights. But Larry Scott just said they, they weren't sure. Like So the length of the term is all that's being discussed, and uh, they really haven't – haven't fig- from what Larry was saying, they haven't figured that out yet. Like that's being discussed. Well, it would probably be a negotiation, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, between the school and the conference. Yeah. All right. Should we talk about the revenue report? Like, yeah, I know this is your favorite thing to talk about. Come on. Many, many on. millions. Um, so yeah, the, the that extra ten million, it'll buy them an even bigger football facility. <laughs> uh, so if you look at right now, because the Pac-12 finally gave, uh, you know, split up and was a little bit more forthcoming with some of the results. Um, John Wilner was able to put together what all five power conferences made in 2018 outside of the ACC. They haven't reported yet. The Big Ten came in at a whopping $54 million per school for 2018. That's ridiculous. Well more than the SEC, $43.7 million per school. The Big 12 uh, is at $36.5 million, but that doesn't even include local TV rights, which you know their schools are allowed to, to keep, where the Pac-12 takes all that uh, from the school. So uh, $36.5 million plus extra for some of the local TV rights for, for the Big 12 schools. Then the Pac-12 comes in, you know, last place, at least the, among the reported, $31.3 uh, million per school. So, I mean, that's significant. You're talking about almost $23 million per school per year. And that's going to go on for the next four or five years, right? Until the new, it's going to probably only get worse. You're talking over the next, you know, Next, you know, presidential term, four years, about a hundred million dollars difference between big what Big Ten schools make and what Pac-12 schools make. So it, I, I know, Dave, you don't want to like talk. Oh, money doesn't matter that much, but that's that's huge. That's significant dollars. Well, I mean, it's twenty million dollars. That's that is a lot of money every year. Um, and I, again, going back to like the main thing, I uh, when it starts to really, really impact things is when. Coaches are getting poached from Pac-12 schools to these schools because the Pac-12 schools simply cannot meet their salary requirements. Um, and I, that's where it becomes a drastic issue. Um, I don't think, generally speaking, that Pac-12 schools, even before these media rights issues, were like super competitive with like free agency market for coaches um, with SEC schools, mostly because most of the best coaches are Southern or East coast or Midwest based. Um, you know, it's just the, the reality of the geography stuff. 
Um, and so it's more, again, going back to the old point, if you see Chris Peterson poached, if you see whatever, I mean, uh, Chip Kelly get poached or, or whoever you want to name, David Shaw get poached by some SEC school, um, that's where it becomes, okay, well, this is a real issue. Um, and, yeah, at the assistant levels, that might start happening too, um, but I just – I'm not seeing it yet. Like, I'm not seeing those those big issues, and – well, like Maybe it'll Washington start to State losing Alex Grinch to, I mean, now that's losing to Ohio State, so that's significant, but he wasn't like, he left to be from a defensive coordinator to a co defensive coordinator. Like, that's, you know, something like that. Like, you would have loved to be able to keep an Alex Grinch, and there's just no way you're going to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's true. He, he, is, he is an Ohio native. Like, there were some, like, factors there playing in. Um, and. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I see what you're saying there. Um, I don't know if that's like a perfect example. I think no, the, it, it's not. But just I think you're going to see more of that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. going on. And, and I think that's true. And you know, I, I would, I think like another example is like a Dave Aranda, who's a California guy, actually. Um, but I, what Pac-12 school is ever going to pay him enough to even consider the fact that his roots are on the West Coast? Um, to come back and be a coordinator, maybe a head coach someday, but not a coordinator. Um, so, I mean, there, there's probably some limitations on the top end, but I don't know how many of these limitations weren't already in place just by whatever, the overall commitment from these schools to football more than Pac-12 schools. I just don't, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I, I understand that like $20 million a year sounds like a lot of money to be down, but again, most Pac-12 schools have already built new facilities in the last like five years. They're not building anything new really. Um, and the salaries, I mean, I, do you, do you see Chris Peterson leaving for, you know, say Saban retires after this year? Do you see Chris Peterson leaving for Alabama? I kind of don't No, I mean, you know, and, Part of it, you know, like he's a he's going to be a West Coast person. He's not someone that's looking for upward mobility. Um, so th- that's where you can – and Chip Kelly might fall in the same category. Um, I mean, he already kind of did. He turned down Florida more or less. Yeah. But I, I just feel like it's going to be a much tougher landscape. Uh, I mean, a good example could be USC craps the bed. They, uh, you know, fire Clay Helton. Uh, Urban Meyer is not coming out of retirement, whatever. And they, like, go after, like, a Jeff Brom. And a Purdue could pay more and keep a Jeff Brom. They already did that, keeping him away from Louisville. But if you could, like, if, you know, typically a USC-level program could go take a Purdue coach, no matter what who it is, what whatever they wanted, would that and be— And honestly, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they were able to. Um, because Brom, I mean, Louisville is, I mean, it's his alma mater and everything, but it's, a, it's in a— a real bad state right now and he's got a decent thing he started at Purdue but neither of those jobs compares to USC and at a certain point a lot of these guys are just very competitive they want to win yeah um so I wouldn't like even that I don't know that like first USC will pay it's a private school they can find you know funding sources to pay for a top tier coach they haven't really but they can um and uh, I don't know. I think a guy like Brom would even take a discount to go to USC from Purdue. I don't think it's like a pure money thing, especially with some of these guys. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of nuanced factors in it. When it's a pure money play, no. But the Pac-12 schools were never winning per- pure money plays. Right. I'm just um, I, the worry is it's just going to be so overwhelming that all those little kind of advantages of oh, he's a West Coast guy, he's a California guy, whatever. It could be 
just overshadowed by unprecedented uh, revenue. And 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 according to the report um, from from the San Jose Mercury News, uh, the Big Ten revenue increase was fifty percent year over year. So. 759 million, according to USA Today's report. So that's like that. I mean, it could be it's 23 million in 2018. It could be like 25 million next year and and 30 million, you know, in a couple of years. Like, just keep growing. Like, how what could you do with 30 million dollars a year? Like, that's more than I don't know. (laughs) What what can you do? Like, what could you do so differently? Hire a bunch more staff, I guess, to like. Support you know, watch, staff. Watch watch yeah. literally every football game that happens in high school. Yeah. Hell, start scouting some seventh graders. But I don't like. There's there's uh, there's diminishing returns beyond a certain amount of money. There just is. It's just so um, crazy big. Yeah, I mean, I I could see that. I mean, I think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if they if they're continuing to modernize their facilities and they do like a new renovation of their facilities every five years, yeah. Pac-12 schools aren't going to match that. Like, they're just not going to be able to. Um, so maybe that's what it ends up being, but that's not happening yet. Like, that's that's still, I think, you know, a couple years away. But, yeah, I mean, if the gap ends up being so big that the facilities on the Pac-12 side are just completely run down and the other ones are just so much better and it's a recruiting disadvantage. But, again, going back to the original thing, so much of this is geography. Like, so much of it is, look, the guys who are West Coast recruits, by and large, they're going to stay out west. Um, the guys who are West Coast kind of coaches, by and large, they're going to stay out west. And that's kind of always been true. Um, and there have been big revenue gaps in the past, not the the numbers amounts, but the percentage-wise, there have been some big revenue gaps, depending on where you are in your media cycle. Um, and I don't know. I've never seen the game change that much. I just think it's now we're talking about such big numbers because the rights deals have grown to be such, such I mean, huge amounts in their own right that, Thirty-two million dollars distribution is a lot of money. Like that's a lot of money going to the Pac-12 schools too. Yeah. I mean, it's that's enough to sustain an athletic program, sustain a football program. Um, it's just where are you putting that extra money, and is it actually going to be spent efficiently? If you're, you know, pulling in fifty-four million a year, or are you going to be, you know, getting gold-plated toilets or whatever? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, one of the other financial things, and I'll get into my tweet in a minute, but uh, Stuart Mandel tweeted this out. I didn't realize this either. So. In in non uh, when when the Rose Bowl hosts a semifinal, which is every third year, the Pac-12 basically gets no money. They get like fourteen thousand dollars. In the years that they ho- the Rose Bowl for like the Big Ten Pac-12, it's thirty five million dollars. So they, they basically the Pac-12 has to kind of like distribute, you know, save some of that money and distribute it in the off year. This was one of the off years where you don't have the Rose Bowl. That seems weird, Dave, where you get like $35 million, $35 million, 14000 <laughs> you know? That is really weird. I'd love to know what the other distributions are for like the different other contracted bowls. Yeah, because that's a really like, good bowl, the, obviously. But Like what does the Sugar Bowl do when it's a semi- – the, the Sugar Bowl can be a semifinal, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. What does it do to the SEC? When, well, I guess the SEC is always in it anyway. Yeah. No. All right. They're always in there. <laughs> um, so anyway, so basically what I was pointing out was – I tweeted out, and there was this was wrong for a couple of reasons, but uh, I said, so essentially, schools like Maryland, Rutgers, and Iowa will get $23 million more than schools like USC, UCLA, and Washington. Basically, like the blue blood programs of the Pac-12 are going to be getting, you know, $25 million or $23 million less than the, you know, mediocre to bottom programs of the Big Ten. 
And Iowa fans were really pissed at me because I lumped, you know, I, I mentioned those in the same sentence as, you know, Iowa in the same sentence as Rutgers and Maryland. Plus, and I was pointed out by a couple of sports writers, Rutgers and Maryland still don't have a full share yet. They've borrowed against it for years. And now it's like, it might not even be till like 2027 when they get a full share. And that's like this big kind of thing going on right now. But I just changed. Okay. Okay. So say Purdue and Illinois, those kind of schools. And I'm, I was a good program. I mean, they're, you know, probably top 30 all time or something like they're, they're pretty good. They're not like Rutgers or Maryland, but they're not Michigan or Penn state or Ohio state. That, that's basically all I'm saying is you're a non blue blood, big 10 program in a very small market. Uh, you have, you know, huge following there's your know, rabid fans, all this kind of stuff. The whole state follows them. It's not a big state. And there, those schools are going to make 23 million more in television revenue than a blue blood program like USC or UCLA in the number two media market in the country. Like it just, it's baffling and it's not a shot at Iowa. It wasn't shot at the big 10, like big 10 is doing it right. Those they're doing the right thing. It's a shot at the PAC 12 that how can you let something like this happen? Like there's going to be a gap. It's not going to be the big, the PAC 12 isn't going to be as big as the big 10 and popularity and stuff. But a lot of this, like we've said, Dave is self-inflicted wounds to make that gap as big as it is. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's totally right. Um, and yeah, I mean, is it a just and kind and good world where Rutgers is making more money than any Pac-12 school? No, but we already knew that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's yeah. I guess that's not just or kind. Um, there was a Equi- equitable. No, equitable. Definitely not equitable. Did you want? Uh, I don't know if there's anything else in there. Did you want to go over uh, the coaches' rankings? Sure. So, um, uh, two, four, seven, um, I think our own Sam Hellman, uh, put together a story. This was, um, CBS sports ranking, uh, all the coaches, the power five level, and then how the PAC 12 coaches, uh, came out in that. Um, I think it was actually pretty good overall. Um, the lowest was Mel Tucker. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody, I mean, nobody knows what he's going to do. And he was still 64th, um, which, you know, that's that's nearly top half. I think it is top half. No, this actually. this is out of sixty five. This is uh, power five. Oh, I thought we were doing the full thing. Okay, so that's pretty bad. <laughs> so sixty fourth because uh, <laughs> because <laughs> uh, the Pac twelve has Mel Tucker at sixty four, Jonathan Smith at sixty three. So two of the bottom three. Yeah, there sixty five teams in the power five. Sixty five. Rough yeah. day. Rough day. Um, and then um, <laughs> after that, it's it's I don't know. The order is about I think more or less what I would have. Herm's at ten, number fifty four overall. I think I would have Herm a little higher. I probably would too, and I'd have I'd have our man Clay a little bit like a lot a bit lower. I'd probably put him ten. Like if if you're Maybe. grading on a scale, if you're saying like who's done the least with most, but it's hard. Like P- USC fans were telling me you got to put him twelve. I'm like. He won the Rose Bowl and he, you know, won the Pac-12 championship. He's, you know, been there for four years. Like it's hard to rank him below Mel Tucker or Jonathan Smith. Yes, they had a huge, a great roster last year and went five and seven. But still, like, it's it's hard for me to put. I, I would probably put him ten. Uh, I'd probably put him twelve. I'd probably really? put him twelve. Um, <laughs> okay, so you're so <laughs> he's number nine. He's fifty first overall. Uh, Wilcox seems right at number eight. Yeah, fiftieth overall. Probably around there. Yeah, I would probably have him higher over. Well, 
I would probably have just more of these guys kind of clustered in the middle because we just don't know enough about them. Yeah. Like, Chris Cristobal is 7 at 41, mostly off of recruiting. Um, Sumlin at 40. Seems high. sixth overall seems high. Yeah. I would probably have him, you know, in that cluster in the middle, but I'd probably have him actually uh, behind Wilcox at, like, 8 and have Cristobal and Wilcox ahead right now. Yeah, I couldn't have – I can't have Sumlin in the top half of it. Um. So the only other one I have a real complaint with. So Leach is fifth, Whittingham is fourth, uh, Shaw is second, and Peterson is first. Chip Kelly at number three. Um, I know, I know, I'm I'm gonna get called a hater and everything here, but I mean, when do those four years at Oregon stop paying off for that guy in these rankings? Because <laughs> I, I mean, my my dude went three and nine last year, and it was not a good looking three and nine. It wasn't like they went three and nine, and it should have been six and six. Yeah, they went three and nine, and it should have been three and nine. <laughs> like it was, they 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 lost their their ass the entire year, and then had like one good game against USC and like a couple other decent games. But it was you know an improving squad by the end of the year. Um, but they went three and nine, and then he lost his ass in the NFL too. So. Okay, I would just have him fifth. Like, I, still, like, obviously within striking distance of number one if he completely writes the ship. Yeah. But, I mean, the Three job Leach high. has done, the, law, the job Leach has done at Washington State or Whittingham has done at Utah, the consistency they've shown over many years, I just, I, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, I'd have Kelly fifth. Yeah, that, that made no sense to me. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have a problem fifth. Third, you can't have him over Leach. You can't have him over uh Whittingham you could argue Whittingham's number two you know I mean the, the job he's done at, at Oregon I mean at, at Utah but for me like and I got in you know a little Twitter war not Twitter war but like mentioned this on Twitter too I've said like that's insane like you can't they're three and nine and I had some UCLA fans like well but they improved every year and I was like well he didn't recruit and they went three and nine like so well they're recruiting better now I'm like the last time he had a winning record as a head coach was 2014 like he hasn't been in college since was it 2011 or 2012? Like that, like Dave said, that's a long time ago. I'm, you know, when he was hired, I was the guy like, that's awesome. He's going to be really good. And I still think he can be, which is why you would have him as high as number five. But I'm not going to put him number three because eight years ago he did something awesome at Oregon. Like I can't do that. Like I saw this year and he made a lot of mistakes. I think he can write the ship, but man, there's no way you could have him three. No, definitely not. But that's the only other complaint I have. I think Peterson Shaw, number one, two, is right. Um, Whittingham at third instead of fourth would be right, and Leach at fourth. Actually, Whittingham or Leach, I don't care. I think they're, you know, roughly equivalent, but in different ways. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think a top four that includes those, and then, you know, Kelly behind just because, you know, we really do have to see it again. Obviously, he's had – Chip Kelly's had the highest – of any of these guys so that you do have to take that into account so I wouldn't put him like he's definitely not like bottom half but we really certainly need to start seeing that thing again yeah um this third just seemed to be crazy insane to me yeah but you know whatever that's uh but I thought that was an interesting story you can check that out on 24 7 sports any of the uh, whatever site you follow they probably put it on their message boards and stuff since it was uh Pac-12 content most everyone I think uh got on top of it um, I had an interesting, so I'm working on this. Someone sent me, it wasn't to the Pac-12 podcast, but someone wanted to know, Dave, and you probably have to send this in or we'll we'll go over this. Uh, the top five players at every position in the conference. 
No, but I loved I loved the responses and how people either didn't understand or drastically overrate the teams they're covering. <laughs> that well, that was the whole point. You're like, could you come up with the top five like offensive guards in the or whatever? You know, no, like off the top of your head in the conference. No, but you can have a good general idea of like who's actually good on the team you cover and who's like <laughs> right. you know just good for that team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like LaVisca Chanel, like he shouldn't be in the top five, right? Like there's no... No, no. he's garbage, right? He's trash. <laughs> uh, but so we're getting... we've. I think I got like four or five back. So we'll try to... Uh, account, like that'll be a show probably. We'll put that together. Um, so, you know, what everyone says, like, you know, whoever, you know, th- they'll be the top five receivers. And then, like if we get like seven submissions for top five receivers, then Dave will, it'll be up to Dave or I to kind of eliminate a couple of them. Uh, we, yeah. we might only get three or four for a position. Then we have to kind of come up with a couple more. Um, so I think that'll be an interesting one. Um, but yeah, someone, this other show that I would go on sometimes, he like, he sent me, Hey, could you come on and talk about all these? I'm like, well, first of all, that would take a crap load of research for me to figure out the top five, every position, but, uh, it's a good idea. So I, that's why I sent out that email and we'll, we should have some for you maybe next week. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but we have, we've got our some pre- responses. Our preseason all pack 12 team. That's what it'll be. Yeah. Uh, that'll be good. Anything else you want to discuss before we jump to the questions? Or no, let's do it. Let's get in there. Okay, let's let's fire this baby up. All right, I think the first one is uh, shoe company's player development. Sure. From old Michael, he said, "Hey, I'll 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 give it a oh, read. I'm do you sorry. want that one? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, it's just, you've been talking a lot. I have. I can, I'm sorry. I can, yeah, I'm just. I no, 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 no. Don't be. I'm I'm just trying to give you your 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 lovely voice a rest, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, you ready? Yeah. Shoe companies player development. This is from old Michael. Hi guys, questions on a couple of topics. One, do shoe companies play a significant role in the college choices of high school players? Two, if they do, why? If my kid were an athlete, I would be interested in the coaches, the facilities, academics, and campus life in general. The brand of shoes they wear doesn't seem to matter. Why would anyone care? Oh, Michael. Oh, Michael. (laughs) Do you think it's because they want to wear that shoe forever, or do you think it's because of the monetary interests that are being, I don't know, put into their hands by said shoe companies? (laughs) Naive old Michael. Oh, that's sweet. That's really sweet. It's more like of a that. basketball thing, though, right? Than than football. Like I don't know if. Oh, it's getting into football. Is it not? Not to anywhere near the extent that it was that it is in basketball. Because um, there's camps like you got the three stripe camps, you got the Under Armour ones yeah. and Nike stuff, and but I don't know if like, well, I you know I'm more of an Under Armour guy. Like if you wanted to go to or like or I'm a Nike guy. Uh, but I really like it's, to go to UCLA, there. but it, I'm going to go to it, USC because they have Nike. Like, I don't know about that as much. It is there to an extent. It's just nowhere near as much. And part of it is just the logistics of it. It's really easy to identify. Well, not easy. I, I don't want to say that. But it's it's a smaller pool of guys to scout and evaluate and know who's really good by the end of like their sophomore year of high school and in, in, in basketball. And it's much more difficult in football. First, there's a lot more of them. And second... Uh, bodies develop later. I mean, basketball, you can be really, really good as a sophomore because you don't need to be as like physically strong. Um, but football, so many, much of that requires so much weight training that it's only the true like freakazoids who are like really good as a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, it's easier to identify them early. So the shoe companies can, you know, get to work on knowing everyone in their family and who they need to, you know, you know, who they need to pay and, and all that kind of stuff to get the guys going <laughs> to the schools they want. Um, <laughs> No, this is just the reality of the situation. Right, yeah. I'm not even I'm not even being snarky. Um, <laughs> so 
yeah, Michael, the main reason shoe companies play a role is because of the money involved. Um, I, I think there's probably maybe some maybe some brand loyalty at some like really, really deep off level. But I think the main thing is just the money. Yeah, I agree with you. And then th- three, you talk about Chris Peterson developing talent better than other coaches. What can a coach or staff do to develop talent better than another coach? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the core of coaching. If you're talking about coaching, you're thinking about teaching. And a lot of that aspect is you're teaching these athletes and you're molding them into better football players. And sometimes it's into the system that you want to run. But overall, I mean, there's tips and techniques and tricks and all those kind of things to make you, you know, you're an offensive lineman, like identifying different pass rushes and where you, you know, hand placement and footwork and all that kind of stuff. There's, you know, there's a lot of technical aspects to, to football, uh, running crisper routes or, you know, throwing mechanics, all those kind of things. I think all of that, if you take a guy that's maybe more of a raw athlete coming out of high school and you have some really good position coaches, you take that raw athletic talent and you refine it and, uh, you know, you don't want to restrict it because you want that athlete to still be there and make those explosive plays, but you want them to be able to, you know, execute football plays at a higher level. And I think a lot of that is development. Now, sometimes you get a player in that's pretty much fully developed. Like they're, they're, they're dominating in high school, but they're peaked. Like they're, they're not going to get any better, but you can put more muscle on them. You can, you know, stronger, faster, things like that and make them be better at football. I think all of that uh, is part of the developmental process. I don't know if you, what you feel, Dave. Yeah. And I think it can also, um, I think all that's true. I think also it can be shorthand for what's a little bit hard to assess, which is how much of it is. um, And I think this is a, a big part of it. And I don't know how much, it might be a bigger part of it than even the talent development itself. Um, the evaluation, the ability to identify guys who are not necessary. Because when we talk about developing talent, we're basically saying, man, look at all those three stars. They turned into players, but it might just simply be that Chris Peterson is a, you know, a savant when it comes to evaluating talent. <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's some real evidence that he is yeah. like that. He's very good at it. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, I think a big part of it from a head coaching standpoint is more um, the discipline of the program, teaching guys how to learn, teaching guys how to work hard, teaching guys how to um, approach it like a profession, teaching guys, you know, the maturity, the attitude, all that kind of stuff you need. I think Peterson is aces at all of that stuff. Um, And I think then, you know, it's not purely football is not purely a function of how much work you put in. That's how good you're going to be. But if you've already got some base level athleticism determined by, you know, you pass the evaluation muster. Um, if you then learn work ethic and how to put in the work to become better at your craft because of all of the culture stuff that Peterson instills that develops you quicker, right? If yeah. you put in more work at anything in life, you're going to get better at it. That's just, you know, that's one of the nice things. Um, so that's all part of it. Um, strength training, who he hires as a strength training people. Yeah. These are, this is super important and who he hires, hires as his assistants. I don't know how in the weeds of like coaching, you know, hand placement and all that stuff Peterson's doing. I don't know his style. A lot of head coaches are kind of hands off when it comes to the actual technical coaching. They might jump in here and there, but for the most part, they're letting their assistants do it. But I think, the culture standpoint, the instilling all of the proper attitudes and, and approaches and um, all that kind of stuff in the players is a lot the head coach and a lot the strength training uh, coordinator 
And um, the head coach obviously has a lot to do with that. Yeah, and it all it all has to work together. You can have the best plan in the world, but if your players can't execute it, or they're like not going to class, or they're skipping meetings, and there's no discipline around the program, you're probably you know that schematic advantage that you would have is probably not going to show itself uh, on the field. So I think it all kind of has to work together. You could have like the best diet in the world, but if you're not following it, you're still you're going to put on weight. You know, this is. It's like everything has to kind of work together. I think a cohesiveness with the staff, um, and you put players in that kind of environment, and they're going to succeed and get better uh, as players. And and like David said, the evaluation part is huge. Um, I think the top, I think four of the top five offensive linemen in the NFL draft this past year were guys that were like 250, 260 pounds in high school. They weren't like 300 pound monsters coming out of high school. So that's all. You know, hey, we can project that this guy is going to put on weight and become a great tackle, whatever it is. Um, so that I think that's part of it too, Dave. Like like you said, it's evaluation that you can that you know you could develop that guy, and or the evaluation that that's all that guy's got. Uh, he could be pretty good, but he's never going to get the ceiling. Is you know he's already maxed out his ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. We had a couple. So I think the next two are about our uh, snafu. We got a text message. Not sure if you guys noticed, but at the 60th uh, minute, 60-ish minute mark of this week's show, the two audio tracks got off of one another, resulting in Dave's audio being about 20 seconds earlier than Ryan's. It was the best show you've ever put out. It was like Tarantino had directed. Um, then there, I think uh, the sound problems from Michael in Oakland. Listening to the second half of your podcast this week was herocious. Herocious. I'm sorry? He actually spelled it Horosias. Horosias. It needs an accent mark somewhere. Yeah. Horosias. Uh, it sounded like listening to two separate interviews together at once. Please don't do that again. Go Cougs. Um, if you remember when we went into the Beast 980, we were like live on a signing day thing, you and I. <laughs> yeah. And somehow my microphone got on like the, the t- t- 10 second <laughs> delay or whatever it was. And I was trying, I forget who we were talking to. Um, but yeah, like they couldn't really, it was like completely screwed up and, uh, yeah, it like screwed up my whole segment. I was like, oh, thanks guys. Appreciate that. Um, that was was a good operation. So it's not the first time. Yeah. They're still around, right? I don't know. No, no. (laughs) I think it's like a (laughs) Korean station now or something. Um, which sucks though. I mean, it was, uh, I like having, you know, sports radio. Uh, like Agreed. So, sports radio that would actually talk about college sports in LA. What the hell they had us on? Yeah, like, like maybe that's why. They I mean, failed. that might have been part of the reason. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's we were actually in studio guests and they, they failed. Um, not. I don't think it's a direct <laughs> result. All right, this is uh, hoops. Oh boy, man, it's long. It's hoops and it's long. Uh, Arizona basketball case from a uh, Arizona alum. So this is Cameron, it looks like. I can't let this go without a reply. Please read this and hear our side. Oh so Cameron's God. part of this. Uh, Guys, I got to I, I got I to let everyone know. Hang on. Hang kay. on. I got to do I got to do a quick thing here because I need to find out how many words are in this email <laughs> so that I can let everyone out there know. That's too that many. Cameron, Cameron <laughs> is mad online in a big way. And there are many paragraphs in this email. Uh, just hang tight. Just sit tight. Here we go. Tools, word count. There are 585 words in this email. Wow. It felt like more. But anyway. That's a lot for email. It's a lot. It's a lot to be looking at right now, everyone. Yeah. He says, uh, you guys don't like discussing basketball in depth. Uh, I get this. <laughs> I get this, but here it comes. <laughs> but you <laughs> opened this box. Here's my critique. 
Bernie's quoting his email to you from uh, your May 8th podcast where the FBI is revealing wiretaps of Sean Miller is discussing payments to players. This quote may seem uh, like little to you, but for us Arizona fans, this is everything. This is totally inaccurate, but a common theme amongst the public. Didn't I say that they didn't have him? Like this was someone accusing that? Like, I don't know. I believe I, know. I said that. He probably stopped listening as soon as he saw that. And I don't know. I, I don't really want to read this whole thing, to be honest with you. Um, uh, it's a, Okay, so basically, yeah, Sean Miller wasn't caught on tape, and it was somebody else who uh, – had a had an interest in maybe um, you know accusing Sean Miller. Right. Stuff. Yeah. So Sean Miller, there's no FBI tapes that we know of that Sean Miller was, um, you know, like in that, that he was on there, you know, tapes saying anything like I paid players or anything like that. Uh, it's hey, been a couple. What? You know what, uh, Cameron? Cameron? Um, everybody out there, are you ready? I'm, I I might rock your world right now. You yeah. Ready? All uh, college basketball coaches are cheap. <laughs> <laughs> all of them probably right now probably right now right this instant yeah. if you went into the phones of every single the, the the work phone that they have through the university and also the private phone that they use for all of the like illicit things if you went into those phones there would be so much cheating happening all the time yeah. uh, particularly at the best schools I'll, I'll say this if sean miller hasn't been cheating He's not doing his job properly. Um, so, yeah, th- this whole thing, I get it, and I-, I get the, like, you know, cape up for your man and the whole thing, but it's just, I don't think anything's going to happen to him. He's probably fine. It's all very dumb. But, like, let's, why are we doing this with college basketball? It's the seediest damn sport in the world. Like, everybody's cheating all the time. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? FBI, why do you care? Who cares? Yeah. I don't know, Cameron, but yeah, we, I mean, I, I thought I pointed that out on the show and I'm not, you know, deep dive into all this stuff. It doesn't really interest me all that much because it's basketball, but, and like Dave said, I think everybody kind of cheats, but the the main thing that we want to, that we're going to come away from this email is the Sean Miller definitely was cheating and should be fired. That's what we're saying, right? Is that, is that right? <laughs> I think, I think that's pretty much the takeaway, no. right, Cameron? <laughs> No, no, Cameron. It, I, we get your point. We get your point. Um, it's probably not worth reading the whole thing on on this thing because I think we more or less said it last week too. Um, but I don't think anything's going to happen to him, and it doesn't seem like there's been a smoking gun at all. So. Yeah, we will do. We can do basketball, but we can't do like ten paragraphs of basketball. So that's like there's no. there's a line no. going to be drawn. Um, no, so a little not. more concise. Little you know, rein it in, and we could read it, but. Yeah, I got t- I got tired after two sentences. Sorry. Definitely. All right. Here's our man, Nick from CFB Winning Edge. Hey, guys. Thanks for always taking my questions, even when I ask you to read a long list of numbers. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that I have a few of a slightly different nature this week. One, what is the single most memorable play of the 2018 season for both USC and UCLA? And why was it so memorable? How about the Pac-12 or college football as a whole? Oh, geez. I don't remember anything. Dude, that's like, yeah. You're asking, like, remember something really important from last year. Um, Most memorable play of the UCLA season. It had to be something like a Joshua Kelly run against USC, right? Like, Probably. Um, I don't remember any of them, but I'm sure there were some good ones. Um, yeah, I don't have that kind of memory. Some people can, like, recount, like, oh, remember seeing that on Monday Night Football in 2003, yeah. week four? And I'm like, I... I 
I don't remember like what I did yesterday. Yeah. Like I don't I don't remember what was for lunch today. Like I, you're, I like if you go if you come up to me in the middle of the year and go, who's the current college basketball national champion? I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. You know, <laughs> like oh no, yeah, I, I, okay. Like, honestly, even thinking about it, I I watched that game and I can't remember. Was it Clemson? Was it? Oh, for football, yes, for football. Yeah. Who won? I, who I, won I, I, March Madness? Oh. <laughs> See, I don't. I can't even think of it. Michigan? No, it wasn't Michigan. No, I don't even think they were in it at the end. Um, oh, uh, Virginia, yeah, Virginia, mean, Virginia, Virginia won. Virginia, yeah, yeah. we remember that. So we remember. Stuff. It's hard to really remember that kind of things. I'm sorry, Nicholas. Yeah, we're dumb. Sorry. Uh, two. What factors do you think are most common in a major college football upset? Home field advantage often plays a role, but there are there other aspects of a game you believe make up for the recipe for a college football upset? Funny scheduling quirks like the Pac-12's patented Friday night kickoff, back-to-back road trips or other travel-related factors, the early or late kickoff time, etc. Thinking back to surprising recent upsets involving USC, UCLA, or other Pac-12 teams, were there any other common factors that come to mind right away? I think for this, it's like... If you have like a, a like a mound of dirt and you pour some water on the top, like that water is going to trickle down, and the, depending on the way it flows, it could you know take different turns. It's sort of like a plinko board; it could go a whole bunch of different directions. Whenever you like, if you go out and play you know basketball one day, some days you're like, oh, I got my jump shots on. Some, some days it's not, or you're hurting a little bit. It just seems like there's just little factors. And we talk about football. You know, there's 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense, 11 guys on special teams. All of them have like these little factors and you might have them all like ticked up a little bit on one day or all of them are ticked down a little bit. Like there's, I think for football, there's so many things that kind of go into it. Like the quarterback broke up with his girlfriend, like, and you sort of get these little, uh, just direction, things kind of pointing in the wrong direction. Like, oh, that happened. That's small. Like there's big factors. Like you mentioned, like, oh, you got to play on the road and back to back or whatever. But sometimes it could just be these little things that start to pile up and it's like a death by a thousand cuts. And then all of a sudden, a team that's normally way better than this other team on that given day, there's a whole bunch of small factors that are helping the, 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 you know, the, the weaker team and a bunch of small factors that are hurting the stronger team. And it sort of like brings them closer together, you know, and I, I kind of feel like that happens a bunch. I don't know what you think, Dave. Yeah, I think it. I think that's all valid and true. Um, I think the most obvious ones I can remember recently, definitely the Friday night games on the road in the Pac-12 seem to have like a really strong correlation um, with uh, that team losing its ass. Um, so I think that's one of them. I wouldn't say like earlier late kickoff time, except um, – Pac-12 teams in non-conference traveling east and playing the 9 a.m. games seem to underperform drastically. Because I wouldn't look at these as pure upset things. I would look at um, when do they underperform or overperform the spread. Um, I think that's probably a fairer way of looking at it. Um, And I I think, I remember reading, I think, that those 9 a.m. games uh, for Pac-12 teams, generally, they were underperforming the spread quite a bit. Um, But within the West region, I don't know that it, I don't think I, I don't know that it hurts or or, or because it, it's affecting both teams the same way. Like if they're conference opponents, um, that I don't know. Um, I don't know if the mountain trip um, in uh, just in terms of the elevation, if that plays a role. I would love to see. I, you know, I haven't done a deep dive into their home records against the spread, um, Colorado and Utah, but that would be an interesting one for the Pac-12. Um, 
trying to think if there's anything else I'd be interested in. Oh, those are, I, those are I, good I, ones, yeah. Yeah, because I think those are all, like, things that I would be, you know, I think that's worthwhile to investigate. Um, and these are just, like, the scheduling factors. Obviously, there's a lot of, like, really nuanced, probably matchup factors that I don't know that anyone's really doing, which is just kind of, you know, what matchups tend to produce upsets? Like, what type of defense doing this tends to produce an upset for this type of offense? I don't know that anybody can really do that, um, but that would be an interesting dynamic way to look at it. But if we're talking just scheduling, those would be the ones that I'd be interested in for the Pac-12. Yeah, there's some, I think, it, like you see in basketball where there's like, oh, you have a senior port, senior point guard or you know, senior backcourt in the, in the NCAA tournament. They just seem to lead the teams better. Um, you know, think there's kind of factors like matchup factors that seem to work well. Uh, you know, it could be this type of defense versus this type of offense. Um, I think you saw a lot of defenses switching to more of a three, four look with these outside linebackers to kind of combat, uh, spread option sort of teams. And then, you know, that's sort of changing again for whatever reason, you know, Chris Peterson and their defenses just seem to match up well against Mike Leach's air raids, you know, so I think there's a lot of factors like that that can kind of tilt the odds. I, I think there's a lot of things there that'll tilt the odds a little bit and sometimes they balance out, you know, so it's like, okay, this team's. 25% stronger than this other team and, and all the, 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 uh, you know, factors that you just can't like that aren't on the surface sort of even, th- you know, keep the same, but then sometimes you have a team that's a little stronger, you know, and, but the weaker team has a bunch of those small factors pointing in their direction. They kind of, you know, even it out a little bit. Like, so like Dave said, uh, maybe they don't win, but they cover the spread. Yeah. Uh, Shane has an email, hot pockets. Uh, this one's long too. Fellows, last week, one of the hot takes was, is Justin Herbert Oregon's Jake Locker? The hot pocket of takes. Lava on the outside, burning your mouth to a crisp when you first bite in, but frozen solid once you get into it. I don't think you make the hot pocket correctly, Shane. <laughs> I haven't had, have you had one in a long time? I haven't had one forever. They're trash. I I, I probably had them more recently than you did because I was in college more recently than you yeah. were. Um and yeah, that's actually been my experience with them. Not more often than not, but often enough to know what he's talking about. Gotcha. Um, they do not cook properly. No. They are pieces of crap. Can they come in like some cardboard that's. You put them in a sleeve. You put them in a sleeve. It's like special made and then for they're the... supposed to vent or whatever out of it. And it's just, it's absolute garbage. Yeah. Uh, when, you, uh, when you read it last week, I instantly gave a small knowing nod and smirk because I had in my blathering word doc of dumb ideas to write you guys. The exact sentence is Justin Herbert, Oregon's Jake Locker. Blinking cursor, blinking cursor, blinking cursor. Locker was a four-star quarterback, a top 100 player in the 2006 class, a local product who never seriously considered going anywhere else. Higher rated than Herbert, but their recruitment was basically the same. The biggest difference coming in, Herbert joined a roster that had played for the national championship a month earlier. A lot of that strength, Mariota, was gone, but by comparison, Locker joined a team that had just gone two and nine in Ty Whittingham, uh, Willingham's first season. Uh, Ty Willingham is Rick Neuheisel without guitar lessons. <laughs> Great note on Willingham. His winning percentage at Notre Dame is statistically worse than, quote, no coach. Seriously, in their history, the Irish were literally better when they played without a coach than they were with Tyrone. Um, that's kind of crazy that's cool despite the uh, surrounding cast over his first three seasons locker showed some moments that made scouts salivate six foot three 
230 pounds, cannon arm, tough as nails. He was 53, a 53% completion guy, which scared everybody, as it should. But he rushed for 1,500 yards and carried a team that went winless without him to wins over ranked USC and Cal teams. And there was talk at the end of his junior season that he could be the number one pick in the draft. When Locker announced he was returning for a senior season, Husky Nation exploded in euphoria, kind of like uh, with Jake Browning when he decided to come back. Exactly. For his 60. Well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, We're suddenly and magically going to be a different team. We've got the number one pick, the great senior quarterback coming back. I still have uh, a barm napkin from 2010 when a buddy and I made a pact to go to the Rose Bowl if the Huskies made it. Seriously, this is a sort of drunken state of idiocy that UW fan base, as it turns out, Head, our head coach was in. Wait, the, the UW fan base, and as it turns out, head coach was in. Sorry about that. Yeah, This is exactly where Oregon fans are right now, twirling their mustaches with confidence. That's a good line. Uh, they're, yeah. top, they're a top 35 metrics team that has won four road games over the past three seasons. They're hoisting the off-season uh, championship, winning recruiting, and spring practice attendance awards. But you can't be a top-10 team while losing every road game, and you have to play Auburn, Stanford, Washington, USC, and Arizona State away from Autzen. That's a good point. I think uh, Herbert will uh, be a top-five pick. Locker went eighth. But the trajectory will be the exact same. Number one on Mox after his junior season, dipped during the fall uh, as his play doesn't match expectations. And then at some point, between the Red Box Bowl and the NFL Draft, he starts sneaking up boards again as justification creeps in and people fall in love with his stature and measurables. I've been to the future. This happens. Justin Herbert, although a more accurate thrower of the football, is Oregon's Jake Locker. I'm so confident in my take. If Oregon loses fewer than three games, I'll change my Twitter avatar to a yellow zero. Keep up the work. Your friend and compatriot, Shane. So wait. So that wasn't even his question. Crap, he still has a question. Well, any any thoughts on uh, that? Uh, that had to be six hundred words or so, I think. Yeah. I, I actually did some um, digging on this because um, one of our listeners and a uh, a Oregon fan um, tweeted at me um, about the Herbert Locker thing, and then I like I did some investigation, and like one thing that comes out pretty clearly is that Herbert has played one of the weakest schedules. Any starting quarterback in the PAC 12 has played in a long, long time. Like the, the teams he has actually faced off against like the median S and P plus ranking of them was like 58th for comparison. Lockers median opponent was 35th. Like there's just kind of a big jump in competition there. And I don't think it fully explains it. I think, you know, as Shane said, Herbert is obviously a more accurate thrower than than Locker and probably probably a little bit better. But I don't think it's like leaps and bounds simply because I think the teams they've played have just been far different. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's fair. I think the argument can be made. Um, I don't think it's completely borne out by the statistics, but I don't think statistics are a great um, way to determine, you know, guys playing for different teams in different times against different opponents. Yeah. But that the uh, the whole road uh, losses thing is interesting, um, but yeah, that's going to be uh, it's you know, I think Oregon can. I mean, there's a lot of hype, obviously. Uh, that you know, they won the offseason national championship. It happens sometimes. You're going to get the hype train rolling, but there's some tough road games there, and so a lot that lot's going to have to change. You know, you gotta you gotta win as many road games this year as you have over the last three or four. Or what what was it say? Yeah, four road games over the last three seasons. 
you got to win as many you know road games this year as you did over the last three seasons to get near what the the hype of, of your team is. So uh, not that they can't do it, but that's a that's a pretty big change. Yeah. Uh, question: What did people want less, Google Nudge or Clippy? Google Nudge is an actual like act of violence. I think. What? So what's Google Nudge? Oh, uh, you don't you don't work in an email space often enough. Um, Google Nudge is this thing where if you don't respond to an email or if no action is taken on an email, it'll nudge you by putting it back up at the top of your inbox oh. like five days later. So that it is an act of war. It is actual violence against people. That's what it is. Wow. Like it's reminding you of something that you clearly didn't want to respond to at the moment. <laughs> and it's telling you, hey, you want to respond to this? We've had that because we, we share a G- we share a Gmail box where we're reading these emails and we've had things get nudged up. So that's what it is. Yeah, it's Google Nudge. It's horrible. Uh, horrible invention. I use um, I'm still old school. I use like Outlook, you know. I don't know. Yeah, you're a uh, that's psychotic. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, it doesn't have freaking Google Nudge, dude. So like, uh, I guess it's got a whole lot of other garbage going on, though. <laughs> All right, uh, selectivity in scholarship offers. This is from our man Jonathan. Uh, David and Ryan, you have previously mentioned that there are vast differences between Pac-12 schools with regard to the number of football scholarship offers that are extended. This morning, I came across a Twitter posting by West Coast CFB that makes this point in a striking fashion. Currently, Stanford and Washington have made the least number of offers, 57 and 60 respectively. In contrast, Oregon has made a staggering 286 offers, nearly five times more than Stanford and Washington. As you have stated, these differences are attributable to differences in recruiting philosophies. Whereas Chris Peterson prefers a highly selective OKG approach, Mario Cristobal apparently believes it is most productive to, quote, shotgun as many offers as possible. My questions today are concerned with the degree to which these differences are also attributable to academic constraints that the coaches have no choice about and must work with. I know that David Shaw must work with rigorous academic standards, but to what extent is this true for the other Pac-12 coaches? Despite an extensive Google search, I have been unable to find a data source that lists and compares the minimum academic qualifications that each school imposes for football scholarships. I did, however, easily find all kinds of data concerning non-athlete undergraduate admissions, e.g. see the link below. As would be expected, Stanford is the most selective of all Pac-12 schools when it comes to undergraduate admissions. 5% of applicants are admitted. The acceptance rates for the other California schools are about the same, approximately 17%. Next comes Washington at 45%, then Utah at 66%, Washington State at 77%, and Colorado at 79%. Oregon and the Arizona schools are the least selective, with acceptance rates that fall between 82 and 85%. One, do these acceptance rates and patterns correspond to each school's minimum academic qualifications for football scholarships? Um, no, no. And I and and it's funny. I, USC's was eleven because uh, they're part of that scandal, you know, <laughs> like you, the uh, the varsity blue scandal. So they, they that's all been out there. Um, and you and they, if you followed that scandal at all, you see how that works. Is that there's a, a special admissions board for athletes. Not just football, yep. but other athletes. So you basically, there's, you know, inside each school, there's a package for each player. Like, hey, this water polo player wants to come in. This football player wants to come in. And it's really up to that committee. Uh, so there's not like, here's, oh, nope, they, they didn't get this score. They're, that football player is not getting in. Like There there, there still can be that, um, but it's a different, it's usually a different set. Yeah. Like even Stanford has a different set. It's much more stringent than other schools. But Stanford will also use it as a way to – sometimes they'll tell guys, oh, yeah, you didn't get in, but it's because they didn't want to push for them by the end of their senior season. 
kind of like that's you can use it as an excuse yeah you could use it as an excuse but stanford definitely does have more stringent requirements than the other ones even when you get to the the athletic right um ucla does have some cal has fewer um usc doesn't have a whole lot uh i don't know what washington situation is and the other ones i don't think i mean i think they're taking a slight cut above minimum qualifiers but i don't think they're too picky um after washington but i think for the most part it's stanford doing something different um ucla trying to think it's you know above the fray and doing something a little bit different um and then everyone else is kind of doing the same thing yeah but it's nowhere near like yeah like the california schools it's way harder to get into than the arizona schools like that's just for a regular student but for athletes it's like dave said it's a different it's a different game so um it doesn't really correspond but you know like Vanderbilt is going to be tougher to get into than Alabama. You know, there's just, you know, those things happen, but they're, they're all going to go through that different committee. And if follow the varsity blue stuff, you got a lot of uh, insight on how that whole thing works. Yeah. And then uh, before extending scholarship offers, do schools first pre-qualify the student athlete for academics or instead do schools worry about academic qualifications at a later time? Uh, for example, only when the student expresses serious interest in accepting the offer. Yeah. So th- don't think of scholarship offers as this, like, the, a package comes in the mail and you have to sign for it. And uh, here, oh, you, you know, you could put it on your wall. It's very different. Thing. Like scholarship offers, it's sort of like, you know, if you ever use Facebook, it's sort of like a poke at, at this point. It's not like. So, could you explain that? Could you explain that to my man, Chip? <laughs> so Mario Cristobal, you want to give him crap for giving 300 offers out. But a lot of offer, like. You can only bring in 25 a year. He's offered almost 300 guys. So you're talking more, you know, more than an order of magnitude. Like every, all those guys could not commit. Those are all, those are not all offers. Like, yeah, that, that, you know, Oregon offered me a scholarship, but if that, if that kid who's like, you know, a three-star local kid says, Hey, can, uh, I'm going to commit. And he's going to be like, uh, no, like you can't commit. Like, it's not a, it's not a real offer. It's not like something that you've given a signed piece of paper. And if you sign it back, you become part of the Oregon class. Like that's not how this works. It's, it's word of mouth. It's whatever. It can be rescinded. There's nothing uh, like official about scholarship offers. Um, so I think just you use them in different ways. Like you can go to Florida. Like if you're the, right now, it's the May evaluation period, the spring evaluation. So say the Oregon coaching staff is down in Texas. You're going to see a whole bunch of tweets. Just got an offer from Oregon, blah, 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 from like a crap load of Texas players. Like USC just did this recently. Um, you're going to get that. You go to visit these high schools and you get a scholarship offer. The kid's not going to commit. Like they're way out, you know, they're thousands of miles away from your school, but you basically said, Hey, I'm interested in you. You know, it's sort of like you swiped right. And then maybe they'll swipe right, but it's not anything official. Like, okay, now we're definitely going to hook up. It's like, you've connected, but you're you're probably going to go to his camp. You're probably going to take an official visit and then really see if this is the school for you. I I don't know if I explained that right, Dave, but what do you think? No, I think that's right, and I think that's right for about 90% of schools. I think there are some who are doing something, again, a little bit different. UCLA is doing this strategy where they're trying to make their offers um, appear um, uh, scarce and valuable, Um, so they're only offering them, uh, kind of as Jonathan's talking about, only after they've pre-qualified these guys based on several weird factors, like what their grades are. Um, But... They are doing that. Um, I think Stanford does that, too. I think Washington does something similar. Um, I don't think anybody else in the Pac-12 is doing anything like that. I think they're all just kind of shotgunning offers, and that's how most schools do it. Um, I don't even know if there's one that's 
you know, significantly better than the other. I think it's all just, you know, if if you're good at it, like Stanford and Washington have, yeah, well, actually, as Washington's shown to be, I think Stanford's actually had some issues um, just because their requirements are so stringent. But, um, you know, uh, Washington's gotten very good at it. UCLA is not very good at it and certainly wasn't last year. Um, so the, the shotgunning approach though, it makes sense to most of these kids and it makes sense to most of the schools. And it's kind of the way it is going, unless you've got a really, really defined strategy to do something else. And I think for a lot of this stuff, there's not like, okay, we have to officially for most schools, I think pre-qualify someone academically, but there's, you know, you hear about, okay, this kid has problems academically. So, you know, maybe a bunch of the schools, the PAC 12 wouldn't offer them because they know that it's not. Well, we, we have his transcripts and blah, blah, blah. It's more about, well, you know, that there, this is a questionable academics kid, so we're going to hold off on offering him a scholarship until we see the transcripts or things like Like, stuff like that will happen, but it's not like you have to get, oh, send this down to compliance before we give this scholarship offer out to, no. It's just like, hey, dude, you want to, you have an offer from Oregon or Arizona State or you, whatever it is. And they're like, oh, cool, thanks. And they tweet it out and their coaches tweet it out, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Did you read that one? That was me. Right? Okay. So postseason tournament. Uh, this is from Jamie. How would you rank the following postseason tournaments? Okay. So he gives, gives the NBA playoffs, Stanley cup playoffs, world cup. Dave's clear. Number one, uh, Pac-12 basketball tournament, Ryan's high school fencing tournament. I played, dude, I played volleyball. I didn't fence. Uh, that was gym class who did fencing. College World Series or Disney Princess Hunger, Hunger Games? Oh, I would watch the hell out of that. Are you kidding? Yeah, that would be fun to watch. That'd be number one. Um, um, but all right, let's let's set that to the side. Um, the Pac-12 basketball tournament would probably be last. Well, so in person, that's actually kind of fun in Vegas. Is this okay? So you're talking about are we go? So we're going to these. I don't know. It depends on what you're looking at. Yeah, watching on TV, not so fun. Um, but watching at at the like if it's if it's a year where the Pac-12 is like pretty good in basketball, walking around like MGM or wherever it is now. But when I was doing it, it was MGM. Like walking around the MGM and like seeing like all the different fan bases there. It's really cool. Kind of gives you almost a Final Four. Feel. Okay. Well, let let's say uh, this is TV. Let's just say we're watching this on TV. TV, TV. It's not. It's not high. But would you put it above high. College World Series, for example? Probably, maybe. Mm. College World Series is pretty fun in person too. Like going to Omaha, but it's baseball. It is baseball. I mean, if I'm watching on TV, it's probably last. Yeah. Okay. So let's say that's last. If we're watching on TV, uh, would you put the Pac-12 basketball above the World Cup? Uh, no, I'd say basketball's next. World Cup, like you still like if you watch like a World Cup game at like a bar or whatever with a bunch of people who are super into it. Like that might be top, actually. Like I know we like dogged soccer super hard last year, but it was like, you know, you can get like it's a really interesting experience watching it with like people who are yeah. super into it. Um, NBA playoffs, it just drags so long. Yeah, I um, Stanley like I, I, I like Stanley Cup playoffs a lot, but I the problem is I haven't watched much this year because like no teams I'm really interested have, were making it far. Like all the best teams lost early, but normally well, and, I think and hockey's. Hockey's a dog shit um, uh, uh, TV viewing experience. It's just not as good. But the the play like you're talking about game sevens and overtimes. Like the playoffs for hockey are pretty fun, you know. 
um, a lot of times. I don't know. I think I might go World Cup number one. I'm doing it. I'm going counterintuitive here. I'll go World Cup number one. I'll go NBA playoffs number two. I'll go Stanley Cup playoffs number three. I'll go Pac-12 basketball tournament number four and College World Series number five. Yeah, I mean, I could go with that. Um, I mean, it depends on the year. I could put the Stanley Cup playoffs ahead. The NBA ones take, but the both of them take a long time too. Like, because you're talking seven games and all these rounds. But some of the the end. I, I like the earlier matchups in the Stanley Cup usually better than the earlier ones in the NBA playoffs. A lot of times there's just, you know, terrible matchups and it's just like blowouts. And, um, yeah. But yeah, but World Cup, I like watching, you know, I don't watch a lot of tennis, but I'll watch like the majors and stuff. You know, I'll watch some of those. And, you know, I like to watch the World Cup and then tell my friends, wow, it was 0 0 guy. And that was fun. You know, like, hey, I'll watch it. It's the World Cup. I know you said it's the most popular thing in the world. Well, this really important game was zero zero. Awesome, <laughs> you know. It's like, so I like to use that to kind of make fun of them a little bit. Yeah. All right, you want to go to uh, shoes? Yeah. All right, this is from Shoe Off Season Time Machine, gents. Shoe from Menlo Park here, the other Stanford fan who listens to your show every week. Yes, there are two of us. Hi, Matt. <laughs> uh, loyal, loyal listeners know that the true workhorse of the POC is David. This is right. I'm I'm already feeling good about this one. He spends the offseason tirelessly researching, building statistical models, and filling out a gigantic matrix of Pac-12 predictions, picking every single game played by all 12 teams, which naturally leads to a projected North and South champion, and then a conference champion. Meanwhile, Ryan skates by, shooting from the hip, yet in stereotypical USC fashion, somehow manages to demolish Dave's picks every year. All right, this took a turn. Uh, Damn, I'd give my right arm to be Ryan, but we all know I'm Dave. (laughs) <laughs> My proposal is similar to Boyd's. The best way to deal with the offseason doldrums is denial. Let's pretend it's week one of the season already. Fire up your... Oh, um... Pack 12 Roundup. Go through each game and make your picks. No point spreads. Just pick winners and losers. Next week, you can do week two and so on. Since Ryan has pledged to follow Dave's tradition and pick every game this offseason, you both might as well do it live on the show one week at a time for our entertainment. Then each week, you can say your predicted records for each team based on your previous week's predictions. For example, next week, you'll say, next up, we have our projected 1-0 and Stanford. Oh, do it. Do it. Oh, crap. Uh... Stanford Cardinal. Versus our projected 0-1. USC Trojans. Before you both pick the Cardinals to start the season 2-0. and Keep up the good work, Ryan's intern. We really appreciate it. <laughs> well, okay. So I actually, so I, when I read these ahead of time, um, I had deleted the week one uh, schedule that we wrote down uh, that we we went over last week. Because remember, it was uh, Boyd from San Ramon. He wanted us to like look at the most important games for each week. So I was going to replace week two with week one, but then like, well, I better leave it there. And then we could make our picks against that. Um do we want to? Do we want to do that now? We, we forgot to do. Let's let's start it next. Okay. Week. Let's just start but real quick week. for Boyd's thing, uh, week two, um, the games are September sixth is Friday. Sacramento State at ASU, so that's not going to be one. Then all the Saturday games: Nevada at Oregon, eh? Oregon State at Hawaii, eh? Cal at Washington. Okay, there you go. Northern Colorado at Washington State, eh? Northern Arizona at Arizona, eh? Stanford at USC, okay. Nebraska, Colorado, cool. San Diego State at UCLA, could be interesting. And then Northern Illinois at Utah. 
Mm-hmm. He wanted did he want us to pick like the most interesting game? Is that what it was or? Yeah. So Friday, obviously, we're watching Sac State ASU. Right. You got to do it. Um, and then Saturday, I mean, it's got to be Stanford USC. If you can only pick one. Yeah. Um, Cal Washington's pretty good too, though. So it's like. Yeah, that'll be a good game. I, that's actually a decent couple of weeks of slates. Actually. Yeah. I mean, week one's fine, and week two is pretty good. Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah. So we'll start doing that. I'll. We'll, I'll you know, I'm sure maybe Dave will, but I'll probably populate our thing with uh, all the games and then we can make, um, you know, we can make our picks and stuff each week. But that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks, Shu. Thanks for that. Uh, try to be a Ryan, man. You don't have to be a Dave. You could be a Ryan if you want, Shu. Um, conference football scheduling. Uh, this is from Mike. Hola, bearded one and Ryan, and greetings from a Ute-surrounded Bruins fan. Uh, with football just around the corner, my mind once again turns towards how I can irritate my Ute neighbors. With the uneven scheduling employed by the conference, I began to wonder who actually benefits, UCLA and USC having to play Cal and Stanford every year, or the other four Southern teams drawing a different rotation. As I see it, UCLA and USC play a, quote, flipped four-year rotation, skipping Oregon and Washington in years one and two, and then skipping Wazoo and Oregon State in years three and four. With the Southern partners, uh, the I'm sorry, the other Southern partners play an eight-year rotation using the Ute schedule here, skipping Oregon and Stanford in years one and two, Washington and Cal in years three and four, then Stanford and Wazoo in years five and six, and finally completing the rotation in years seven and eight by not playing Oregon State and Cal. Which pool would you rather be in? My view is that USC and UCLA uh, over the long run, enjoy a slight advantage with this arrangement as I rank the northern schools over the long haul this way. One, Washington, two, Oregon. Three and four, t- tie between Wazoo and Stanford. He says, before you jump and say I've rated Stanford too low, I'm aware that Stanford has defeated UCLA for 47 straight years. I'm talking about the long run here, not this 47-year flash in the pan. Let's face it, David Shaw has squandered away the best years Stanford will possibly have. How many more NBA players will be converted wideouts, and uh, and there are no more Bryce Loves or Christian McCaffrey types available. Look, if you take away all the Stanford wins over UCLA, what are the Cardinal, a 500 team? Uh, five, Cal. Six, Oregon State. If you accept these rankings, then USC and UCLA always play the number three and a half and five ranked teams, which is slightly on the easier side of a six-team pool, or if you wish, a 4.25 average. The other four Southern partners would have a slightly lower quote, average score, meaning they play the harder schedule if the rankings above are accepted. Some engineer guy like Ryan may have a better way of explaining this, or Dave could invoke his statistical prowess and put his two cents in and give a better explanation. Of course, all of the rankings in the North would need to be readjusted if Champagne Larry... The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? (laughs) Grants the wish submitted to him by 11 of the 12 member schools requesting that Jake Browning be granted... 10 additional years of eligibility as a sort of reverse affirmation action. Affirmative, I'm sorry. Affirmative action. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Affirmative action to level the Northern playing field. So what say you uh, coexist bumper stickers, Subaru driving bearded one uh, and you bespeckled golden voice software engineer. I was a hardware engineer uh, who has the better of it uh, in the scheduling USC and UCLA or the other five or the other four Southern saps, Mike in Highland, Utah PS. Well, somebody in this pathetic Southern end of a Northern bound horse of a division, please finish ahead of Utah this year. So I can live in peace, please. Anyone, maybe Arizona or ASU, please someone, anyone. Whew. 
Whew, that was a lot. Good job. By his Good rankings, um, that makes sense. I don't know. So it depends on like the long view because he's taking the long road ahead too. Do we think Oregon's like relative blip is going to continue forever um, and ever? Because if you look at it historically, Stanford's a better program than Oregon. Yeah. Like, from a, a history standpoint. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is right now or that it's going to be in the future. But, I mean, what's our perspective on this? Um, I think Stanford should be, too. It, yeah. Yeah, I kind of do, too. Um, and there's – so Cal is also not a good football program, but it's right there with Oregon historically. Um, obviously not modern times, so I think you can probably safely say Oregon's better than Cal. But Cal's like – I mean, let me just compare Cal to our man Washington State. Yeah, Washington State is a horrific football program. <laughs> um, if you take away Mike Leach, what Mike Leach is doing right now, and you take away like a nice little period with like Mike Price, like what are you looking at? Um, no, that's it's Oregon State basically. No, Oregon State's yeah. better. Oh <laughs> uh, well, no, Oregon State's a little bit worse, but it's like not. They're they're in the same conversation. Right. Like they're they're at the very. They bottom, can't be so. tied with Stanford. So I think it's Stanford two and Cal four, and in that case, I don't know. It's probably a two watch. and four. Then I think it's much closer. Maybe a disadvantage for USC and UCLA. The way he has them ranked, I think it's an edge for USC and UCLA. But I I don't agree with his rankings. Yeah. So uh, I would say I would say it's probably pretty close to a wash. Yeah. Um, keep your head up, Mike, and uh, you know, hopefully, you can get out of state and, and drink some beers. Yeah. You're not allowed to right? Exactly. You can't drink in Utah, right? Like it's illegal. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I went seriously. When I went to to Provo in the '90s, and it was like it was hard to get alcohol. It wasn't easy. Yeah, I it bet. was like a weird thing. I think it's. I think it's better voice, now. Is this is this a voicemail or no? It's, it says text. I think. I hate that it says voice at the top. It always right. Yeah, I was like, oh, is that a voicemail? No, that's a text. Yeah. All right, this is from, uh, you know, somebody didn't identify themselves, and we're not going to bother looking it up. <laughs> All right, uh, do you think ASU should be on this list? Future schedule. All right, so this list is the college football future schedule teams who aren't scared. So teams that are, you know, scheduling a bunch of pe- people that are tough. Do you think ASU should be on this list? Future schedule includes Michigan State in 2018-2019, Oklahoma State 2022-2023, Mississippi State 2024-2025, Texas A&M 2026, 2027, LSU 2029, 2030, and Texas 2032 and 2033. Of course, ASU in the past has scheduled home and homes with Texas Tech 2016, 2017, Notre Dame 2015, 16, Wisconsin 2010, 2013, Illinois 2011, 12, Mizzou 2011, 12, Georgia 2008, 2009, and LSU in the 2005 Katrina game, which has had the uh, the had the return game moved a million times into the 2030s. ASU also played Texas A&M in a one-off game 2015 in Houston. One of the things I enjoy about being an ASU fan is the OOC scheduling. I feel it is one of the better middle-of-the-road teams in scheduling tough OOC games. The same cannot be said for our friends in the South. You know, I I, I think you can make a fair argument that ASU is among the better scheduling teams. I don't know if they would be in the top 10 with that. Like, if you look at, like... Um, just like compared to what USC does every year or what UCLA does every year, it's not quite that, but they're not like joke scheduling by any means. Like they're not scheduling, say, <clears throat> Northern Arizona every year, like maybe one other school that in that state. 
in that state. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. Talking like about, those are those about, are great. About I, I love the fact that we're getting a whole bunch of great home and homes being announced, and Arizona State's in that group. You know, UCLA's got some good ones coming. So it's yeah, I, I no issues with what Arizona State's doing. It's fun. I mean, you want to go, you want your fan base to be able to travel to. Uh, you know, Athens, Georgia, or, or you know, Austin, Texas. All the, those are those are experiences that the fans relish and they'll remember for a long time. So, yeah, props to ASU. You know what I would say? It's at least comparable to what Colorado's doing. So, yeah, I think they they have a real argument to be included on this yeah. list because Colorado's on there, and Colorado, I think, is doing a kind of similar thing, which is good. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, yeah, ASU, hell yeah, you get in on that. Nice list. job. Do it. This is our buddy Nick. Uh, comment slash question slash request for the Pac-12 podcast. Hi, Ryan Abraham and the bearded guy. Holy, holy. Sh- he said bearded, no, girthy no. guy. The be- <laughs> Hi, Ryan Abraham and the bearded fat guy Bruin. <laughs> Not very nice. Um, <laughs> Nick just bring in the fire. He hasn't wrote for a while. Like, come on, Nick. I know. Uh, the comment. Uh, I don't care for the Disney questions, but because it bothers people, please keep sending them in. Uh, L-M-F-O-A. You're saying laughing my fat ass <laughs> off ass. So the laughing my fat off yeah, ass. His question: Could a combined USC UCLA team be able to beat Alabama? I.e., we pick the best player at each position for those two schools. Could we be- beat Nick Saban's Alabama team or or a Dabo Sweeney Clemson team? Um. So Nick. More or less what you're asking is, can USC beat Alabama or Clemson with, like, four UCLA guys? <laughs> I mean, have you seen the state of the UCLA roster right now? So it's not so great. We're saying no. Yeah, no. no. I don't think that would happen. Uh, and then the request, can we get uh, Lamb? I think he means Mike Lamb. Yam? Right? Uh, Yam. Yam. Yep. With a Y. He's, right? We get Lamb? Like, L-A-M. Like, what's... Yeah, but does he? He means yam. He means Mike Yam. Right? I, yes, I guess so. Why did I say Lamb? Oh, well, he he wrote Lamb. Okay. No, because he wrote Lamb, <laughs> and it's hard to remember what his actual name is because we're confused by what we're reading in front of us. Uh, okay, can we get? Uh, let's assume Mike Yam. Uh, then the lady on the Pac-12 Network. <laughs> is there one lady? No idea. Is there one lady? No idea. There's a lot of ladies. We've. Had- <laughs> <laughs> or a bearded one. Nick's Nick's on a real one right now. I'm loving it. <laughs> he was smoking something good. Or bearded one. Can you get Bill Walton on the show? I love him. Uh, I think on commentary. I think he like commentary. He loves his commentary, and I don't like Bruins, but he's one I can accept. Please get Bill on. He will not bash the network like you do, and probably whip both your candy asses if you talk down on the network. I like it. Football in 60 is awesome, and getting a Bill Walton basketball game uh, can't be beaten. Fight on. All right. Nick. So the lady on the panel. Uh, no idea what he, like, no idea yeah. there's, who there's, he's there's, talking about. There's many females employed on the Pac-12 network. Um, you'd have to be a little bit more specific. Yeah. All right. Our Hitler Day email. Uh, Manikos replete. This one I'm lost. I'm going to. Just do a quick. Is it maniacs or? No. (laughs) I mean, Manny Koss. So it's a couple different things. There was a a philosopher. Okay. Well, anyway. All right. 
Last week, you mentioned all three games the Pac-12 will play against Brigham Young in 2019, all of which will be in Provo in September, Utah, USC, and Washington. In the previous offseason, I had asked about BYU. David predicted a sweep since they'd start with his darlings to win the South in Arizona. And Ryan said he couldn't be bothered to research a team that the conference was only playing four games against. He then admonished me when referring to previous podcasts to always provide a recap of what you'd said, admirably confident that you boys would never be embarrassed by such a thing. I wonder if, with a year's time, you've given any more thought to the other Cougars. No. Nah, they're going to get swept. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Like, I, they went, th- the Pac-12 went 3-1 and one against BYU last year. They lost, the, the Arizona game, they lost by five points. Yeah. Every other game, they won. Don't give if I was stuff. going don't to. Come at, don't come at with me like you're calling me out, if I was, You better come with something stronger than this. If I was this. going to research them, I'm certainly not going to now. <laughs> no, God, no. no. I, now I'm going to make an attempt to sound as pig ignorant as possible in those. And if you've been listening for a while, you know I can sound pretty pig ignorant. And I'm going to end up trying to sound as bad as I can possibly sound in describing these I games. still don't get what the, the subject is. Like, you're saying you're full, like. Replete, it's like you're full of something. Like, what is, I don't know what he's saying. Well, well Manikos is a philosopher. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm fail. I'm, I'm missing the thread yeah. here. I'm missing the thread. Usually I can suss it out, but I can't. I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I, I do not grok. I do not grok. All right. Uh, let's go, Alex and Pasadena. Dream matchups. Boys. Ryan just pissed off Iowa fans, then mentioned how Iowa and Utah should play each other. I did say, so. I tweeted that out, like, because, you know, Utah Twitter can be pretty good. Like, if you say something weird about Utah, you're going to get hounded by Utah Twitter. Well, I got hounded by Iowa Twitter. Zach Johnson tweeted at me, like, the the golfer, like, what, did he win the Masters or something? He had, like, half a million followers. Uh-huh. He got in on that and tweeted, like, he tweeted at me a, a article or a picture of the best college towns in America, and Iowa City was the Iowa one. Uh, what do you think the best college town in California is? At least according to whatever this publication was. Oh, no Said idea. St. Louis Obispo. Like, that's kind of cool, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, that's fair. But whatever. So, th- like, th- it wasn't just Iowa. Like, Zach Johnson, he's from Iowa. Like, he tweeted at me. Like, so it really kind of got them in a frenzy. So I said, you know what should be cool? would be cool is Utah versus Iowa. That would be a good game to schedule. Um, he said, so that leads to my question. Why would, uh, why would you like to see each uh, – I'm sorry. Who would you like to see each Pac-12 team play – Possibly Oregon State versus Rutgers. Talk about a dream matchup. Let's go, boys. Give us your thoughts. Thanks. Keep uh, doing you, Alex from Pasadena. Okay. So we have to pick um, each team and tell like who we'd like to see them play. Okay. Is that right? Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm all going right, with so Utah and, and Iowa. I want to see Utah Iowa just because of the Twitter thing. I think that would be fun. I think that could be interesting. Um, yeah, I would take a Utah Iowa. I would take Utah versus kind of any Big Ten team right now. I think they'd, you know, it'd be interesting. They've got kind of a Big Ten feel to yeah. them. Um, so all right. Let's do what other South? Yeah. Let's start with USC. Should we do USC? I'd like to see USC rematch with Oklahoma. That would be fun. Um, yeah, Oklahoma's just fun team to watch. You know. Yeah. Um, I think these are on the schedule, but uh, for UCLA, like LSU and Georgia will both be cool. Yes. Um, Tennessee might be a good fit. They've recently done it, but like both programs kind of, you know, you know, it's not been a good couple of decades here for either right. of them. Um, so that could be interesting. 
Um, Arizona's. ASU and like, well, they, I think they scheduled, I mean, they there's some good ones scheduled already. Did they play Georgia or did they, they might've played. Um, I'm thinking SEC with the Arizona state. Uh, I'm going to say Georgia, you know? Yeah. I'd, I'd take like an ASU Florida. I think that'd Ooh, be that, cool. yeah, that, that might even be better. All right. All right, Arizona. Let's get a like a, a basketball matchup going on the on the football field. Like Arizona Duke. Should we get that Ooh, going? Oh, that could be good. Yeah, I like that. That could be pretty good. Or North sweet. Carolina. Um, that could be cool. Yeah. Um Getting. Arizona, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Another SEC Arizona, matchup. Arizona, Kansas. They, they, that, that's at least a win for the Pac 12, Arizona, Kansas. <laughs> there you go. Uh what about Colorado? Um, they scheduled Missouri, which is that's the perfect one. Um, yeah. So it's probably I would probably just go with Missouri, but Texas. Let's get Texas. Yeah. Or or yeah. obviously duh, like Nebraska, right? But they play. Yeah, but they're yeah, doing they're playing that. it this year. Um, all right, that's the South. Do you like in the North Oregon State Rutgers? That's probably pretty good. That would be. But good. they're playing Oklahoma um, State this year, which I think is great. Like the two OSU's playing. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, Oregon itself, um, you know, it would be on brand for Nike to take on Under Armour, so Oregon, Maryland. I kind of want a better team. I get that. Like Michigan um, or something. or. Yeah, didn't they just do that one, though? Oh, yeah. Michigan State, like green and green. What about like, what about like Oregon, Penn State? Yeah, okay. I'll go with that. That could be kind of yeah. fun. Uh, Washington, Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me Ohio State, Washington. That'd be good. Didn't we just do that one? Uh, like in a bowl game. Did that? No, they. Did they? Is that who they lost? No, they lost. This, to, this goes back to our. Yeah, they lost to them literally like four, four and a half months ago. <laughs> I hold on. Just, just to you know, hold on one second. This is uh, ferocious. Uh, hold on. <laughs> they were ferocious. Uh, I was at that game. <laughs> oh man! So for things whoever are asked going that question, really like, what's well your favorite moment? I didn't remember. I was at the <laughs> the Ohio State Washington. <laughs> you know what? Give me uh When was the last time we got Washington Notre Dame? When? Did yeah, that, that would be happen? good. Yeah, give me that one. I like that. Um. All right, Washington State. Florida State. Yeah. It's like corners of the country. <laughs> okay. I can get behind that. All right. I'll take that one for that. Um, and then we got Stanford. Um, they played some good. So they play Notre Dame. I still want Stanford Bama. I know it's not the same thing it would have been in like 2015, yeah. but I still want it. What is like the. So, okay, you could either go like Vanderbilt, which is like the Stanford of the SEC, but then you could go like complete opposite like uh either like a mississippi or an arkansas something like that like where it's like the highest to the lowest academic standards like what what would you say yeah that'd be interesting um i would i mean i think the academic struggles would just be too easy um like they would crush vandy they'd crush rice so i wouldn't do that 
but yeah, the 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 nerds versus like pure jock that could be fun. Yeah. Uh, um, Cal. All right, Cal's last one. Purdue. Yeah, I could go with that. Jeff Brom. All right, Cal- oh, you want an offensive yeah, team Cal. versus a defensive team? Yeah, that works. Yeah. All right. Cool. Good stuff. Cool. All right. Uh, did I read that or did you? I don't know. Here, I'll read that. <laughs> we don't even know. It's too long. It's too long ago to remember. Um, all right. Questions. This is from Bernie. Hi, guys. For Ryan, will USC win a Rose Bowl in the next three years? Uh, no. Yeah, I agree. Um, for Dave. I'm a big Jerry Neuheisel proponent. I see a bright, charismatic, well-schooled future coach who loves his alma mater. Do you feel Jerry would have to go to a smaller university to work his way up to being a head coach, or would he be able to reach that position by staying and interning at UCLA? I just see him accomplishing great things in the years to come. Thanks, guys. Bernie. Um, I don't think he has to. I think he should. But given our history of uh, UCLA hiring coaches, if we you know go back and look at all the things that have happened over the years, no, he certainly doesn't have to. You just hang around UCLA long enough, eventually they'll name you the head coach. Um, no, is but he a GA I, I now, or what is he? Um, I think he's he's in that you know whatever he's like in the that analyst? Like weird middle ground. An- oh, yeah, okay. he's doing he's doing something. I think he's a GA. Oh, still, okay, well, if, well, GA. That's good. Like if you're an analyst, there's one thing. But if you're like a GA, that's good. You get. A couple years of that, and then you know, if you could become from a GA to a position coach at UCLA, then you're on your way uh, to make yeah, that. And I don't even know; he might already like be like an assistant to an assistant, which is basically what an analyst okay. is. Um, I don't know. What we could his look it up, but status but is. I think at that point, like, say you could, you'd actually be shocked how little you can look up on UCLA's website. <laughs> You just said the internet's you can look new it up technology. As if, as if any of this stuff has been updated <laughs> since Chip Kelly took over. <laughs> but Bernie, <laughs> so basically, person. Bernie, like if you, so, whatever Jerry's doing now, uh, say he could work his way up to be either like a GA and and get his master's at UCLA. Um, that could, you know, if he can get a position, you know, coach job at UCLA, that's good because now you're. You know, on the rankings of things, you are now a full-time position coach and you're at a major university. If he can't do it at UCLA, then he might have to go. You'd like to do another Power Five if you can. If not, you know, you say he becomes, from a graduate assistant at UCLA, he becomes like a Western Kentucky quarterback coach or whatever he is. So that, now you're at least a position coach and you sort of have to work your way up there. I, I think it's hard to go all the way up at one school from some sort of analyst uh, all the way, but you can, you know, you can bounce around a little bit and, uh, and work your way back. Um, yeah. And I, I, I kind of agree with you, Bernie, but also I think it's like, it's not quite, but it almost should be disqualifying um, to ever be the head coach. If you are like the son of a former UCLA head coach or like, you know, have, you know, some real connections to the university in like a, just a family relations kind of way. Because it's just, it then becomes harder to fire you eventually. It becomes, you know, all these different things that get built into it that would you be considered for the job otherwise? And so the best thing for Jerry to do, and the same thing would be said for like an Earl Watson, if he ever wants to be considered for the UCLA basketball job, go get another job somewhere else and really do well there and then be a head coach somewhere else and really do well there. And then, you know, once you've actually gotten some seasoning and you've proven yourself really good, 
you get hired on the merits at your dream job instead of, you know, just you do, using your connections. And I don't, I'm not saying Jerry's doing that. He's like, whatever, he's like 24 yeah. right now. But, um, you know, I, I do agree. I think he does, he, he, he strikes me as like at the very least a very good recruiter. Um, and he probably will be very soon if he's, I mean, he's already, he's already done, you know, whatever limited capacity stuff he can do um, in his current role um, and earned rave reviews for it. Um, so I think there's like obviously a bright future there. It's just a question of, um, you know, how how it works out over the next you know decade or two, in terms of his uh, you know his path. And I'd say just put into your contract that uh, wherever you work, they have to have enough gloves. So just make sure there's enough gloves there for everyone. Uh, That's probably his dad's advice too. Right. Him. Yeah. I mean, it it totally derailed his dad's. Uh, you know, it, it, I, probably. Well, and you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think. Uh, like. And now we know the foundations of a program are recruiting, <laughs> uh, coaching acumen, and then the the sheer number of gloves right. that you have allotted. <laughs> and if you don't have one of those three, you can't be great. I would right? 100%. You can have recruiting and you can have coaching, but if you don't have enough gloves, like do you think Chris Peterson's sitting up there and saying, I don't have enough gloves? No, <laughs> they're having lots of success. Obviously, they have enough they have gloves. plenty of gloves. Um, yeah. I would actually say... You can even sacrifice if you've got coaching and you have gloves. You can even sacrifice recruiting to an extent. Yeah, I, it's hard to argue. I mean, you you're not going to be successful without gloves. Uh, so just make sure you have enough gloves. So Jerry, make sure you have enough gloves. It should be okay. And you, the listener, you, the listener, make sure you have enough yeah. gloves. All right. We all look. We're all getting through a hard life, right? Like there's there's lots of stuff going on. You know, it's a tough world out there. Just make sure you have some gloves, all right? <laughs> two pair. Two pair a person, all right? Have your gloves. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, good stuff, Dave. It was a pretty pretty big show, pretty packed show. Pretty packed show, pretty packed show. We didn't hit our goal, but that's all right. Oh, yeah, we were trying to be you done eight, eight minutes ago. No, no, ago. It's, it's fine. It's yeah. fine, you know? But some good questions. We will start. I think that's a good idea. We can start to pick uh, each game one by one. Um, and we'll, we'll, I'll keep putting those into the document. We'll go over each week. Like we talked about with, uh, uh, you know, which what are the more interesting matchups as the weeks go on, but we'll do all our picks together. Um, and we will not research BYU at all. Not at all. <laughs> oh, also, um, uh, we should, uh, we should record in person next week. I'll be in, I'll be in LA. I didn't know that. That's, that's yep. very cool. Um, yeah, yeah. it's like, you know, David will show up. He's like, Oh, I'm in LA, but he won't tell me or. Hey, you want to get lunch or something? Yeah, yeah, pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, commitments and plans. Those are yeah, that, I, I don't think I would be eating this time, this this trip. I'm only going to be there a week. I'm just going <laughs> to skip food. Oh, okay. Good, Dave. Thanks. Do you want to get a beer or something? Like, yeah, no, I really. Yeah, not not really doing much uh, the the fluid intake either. <laughs> Just, you know, seeing if I can just get through the whole time with nothing entering my body whatsoever. Is this a whole family thing coming out or just? I'm coming with my daughters. I got a wedding. Oh, okay. Uh, nice. To go to on Sunday and, you know, a bunch of. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we, we can maybe do that in person. Maybe, so maybe we'll, should we like do all the picks? Could we, could we do like a whole show of picks? Maybe. Like whiteboard it or whatever. Just do some kind of, I guess we. Or oh Google yeah, Doc. maybe post a pic, post a pic of it. Yeah, too. I don't. Mm. My whiteboard's not that big. 
Um, mm. But we'll, we'll figure out something. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Look for, forward to next week. We're not sure when, but, you know, David's going to potentially be in town and we'll potentially see each other in person and uh, and do some shows in person. So cool stuff. Hopefully uh, you guys had en- enjoyed the show. I did immensely. I know David did too. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.